Hello and welcome to X-Wingin' It, a show about Star Wars and video games and Star Wars video games. I'm one of your hosts, Brock Wilburn. And I'm Alex Kane. Uh, and today, boy howdy, we're doing, we're doing it. We're doing the big one. We're finally doing it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Brock Wilbur here uh, played Knights of the Republic for the first time ever, and uh, yours truly wrote a book about the game. Uh, so yeah, I've been looking forward to this one since we started the podcast. I, I believe this was the thrust to start the podcast. Uh, is is this episode, which is advertising for the forthcoming Boss Fight Books book on Knights of the Old Republic, written by my friend here, which uh, I, uh, I really wanted to wait to read it until uh, after I'd played it. Uh, and last night I finished it, and oh my god, it's so goddamn good! I made him apologize to me for it, because um, <laughs> I've got to I've got to follow that up with a book about postal, so I'm I'm just screwed. Uh, wow, this game is great! I can't believe how many times in my life I did a false start on this and was like, yeah, I I got like an hour in and just didn't get any further. Uh, this time it just flew by for me. What an incredible game! Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you ask 10 Star Wars fans what their favorite Star Wars game is. Eight or nine of them will probably say KOTOR. The other two will say TIE Fighter. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, um, if you look at, like, sort of the history of uh, Star Wars creators and the things that people cite as, like, their big um, sort of role-playing moment, um you know, there was the West End Games tabletop RPG that sort of influenced everybody who worked on KOTOR and sort of like kind of was the dawn of the true expanded universe or legends that uh, informs all the video games. And then, you know, there's another generation for whom, you know, KOTOR and, and Darth Revan were kind of that ground zero moment of, uh, oh, I kind of, you know, I, I like Star Wars because these experiences let me kind of live in it and, uh, and breathe that air. And yeah, Knights of the Republic still hasn't really been topped. I don't think in terms of how well it did that. Um, right. And, and one of the reasons that it was going to be difficult to top is because it is a Bioware title. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was the game that they made immediately before mass effect and immediately after Neverwinter nights or kind of, during Neverwinter Nights in, in a in sort of a weird way, uh, and so it was it was like their second 3D RPG, um, but it was also really the the spark that that set off the idea that every character in a Bioware RPG has voiceover for every line of dialogue. Um, you know, you're you're really steering the conversation. You're making like decisions that you know create these wild branching storylines um which you know really probably hit their golden age around the time of things like mass effect 2 and skyrim uh games like that where um you know that that those are the sort of things that when people think of rpgs and sort of the all-time greats they tend to cite things like mass effect 1 and 2 and and kotor was really the prototype for that in a lot of ways and of course obsidian had kotor 2 that uh took that idea and put a different spin on it um but yeah it's it's a great it's a great game it's it's uh it's sort of nearly perfect in a lot of ways um it's it's got some awkward technical issues um problems that they weren't able to solve before you know the deadline but um 
people who play the game a lot tend to look at those things as features rather than bugs. Um, the characters are all just so damn likable and the art is so memorable and, and the things that it contributed to the star Wars universe are, you know, still kind of everywhere you look today and in the TV shows and things and the comics. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very seminal piece of star Wars story that, uh, you know, kind of stands head and shoulders above the rest of the things that came out around that time, uh, in, in the big picture. It's, uh, yeah, it, uh, it really translates a giant universe experience into, I, there's, there's so much here and it's so functional and it's so interesting in a way that I just feel like there must've been nothing else at the time that can compete with this because there's almost nothing in the universe that can compete with it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you'll play games that that sort of give you that that feeling a little bit, um, you know, like I, I played Andromeda and, you know, that's the Mass Effect game that everybody hates. But I found myself thinking, you know, actually, this this has a little KOTOR flavor in it. Um, I enjoyed quite I a bit. I very about, much see that. <laughs> yeah. You know, Andromeda has its problems. Uh, the criticisms are valid. Um but the things I did like about it, you know, it did have that KOTOR flavor for me, you know, things like Fallout 4. Uh, you know, if you squint real hard, um, you know, there are, there are games out there that sort of give me that warm, fuzzy feeling that the KOTOR does. But, man, not enough of them, you know. <laughs> Surely, definitely not enough of them. I, uh, I keep reinstalling The Witcher 3 in hopes that The Witcher 3 will give me that KOTOR feeling one day. But, uh yeah, this, I mean, this game was so, there was so much passion behind it, I think, and, um, you know, it, it was it was a thing where fans were making a product for fans, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of D&D nerds at LucasArts, a lot of Star Wars nerds at Bioware, uh, and they got to kind of just do whatever the hell they wanted, um, you know, George Lucas was signing off and giving them notes, um, but, but everybody at Lucasfilm was pretty on board with this idea of let's have, you know, thousands of Jedi, hundreds of Sith running around in this sort of ancient, you know, golden age galaxy. And, uh, yeah, somehow Bioware pulled it off and, and LucasArts was happy. Um, but it certainly, it didn't go as planned, of course. Like it was, it was uh, a little bit turbulent, I think, but yeah, the end product, I mean, um, I don't think there's anybody who who played it and, and saw it as sort of like, you know, when a game comes out nowadays, you know, you look at things like Anthem and it's like uh-huh. a, tur- a turbulent development might lead to a game that, you know, some would call broken or very dull and boring. And you you uh, it's sad to see that because, um, you know, Bioware is sort of this beloved studio and, and KOTOR is one of those games that, that gave it that reputation, you know, along with Baldur's Gate and Dragon Age. I love that uh, I love that in your book you talk about how, you know, the, the team that would wind up making this game was basically uh, offered two projects. They could either work on some sort of vague project at a Sony or a Star Wars game. And then they left like that meeting and everyone was like, hey, I think we know which one we want to do. Uh, and and even though that there was a sort of a hey don't break the NDA on this don't tell anyone uh, the person you're interviewing is like I drove home to immediately tell my wife um, <laughs> and uh, and and that they were you know in this time period where uh, as you write about like Attack of the Clones was being made so some of the things uh, 
some of the cloning stuff they didn't were told not to get into. Uh, but then you get into, you know, notes around studio stuff that like there were robes on the sand people so you could see their legs and that was a no go. Uh, and then certain species could only have certain colored eyeballs. And then, of course, the the biggest issue uh, is, is, you know, what colors lightsabers can be and, and everything that they wanted to do with that was was crossing some sort of uh, imaginary internal Star Wars lore line. Yeah. Well, so, you know, of course, it's like George Lucas sort of, uh, you know, he he made the rules. Right. But he did make them up as he went along, kind of, you know, Indiana Jones style. He just sort of he, he one day decided that in Attack of the Clones, uh, the Jedi would have blue or green lightsabers. The Sith would have red lightsabers and uh, Samuel L. Jackson would get a purple one because Samuel L. Jackson wanted a purple one. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean. That kind of went against uh, decades of licensing and toys and comic books. Um, so that was a really like awkward moment, I think, for uh, basically everyone working on KOTOR. They were like, uh, but we like the idea that maybe you have a yellow one or an orange one or, you know, these various weird shades. And um, KOTOR 2, I think gets to play a lot more with that even. Uh, but Kot- uh-huh. KOTOR 1 really had to fight to include things like a yellow lightsaber for a Jedi. Um, and and yeah, and there there were, in the PC uh, downloadable content, I believe there's, so there's two other crystal colors that you can sort of earn um, by going to the satellite in orbit around Yavin. And uh and yeah, I think they really had to fight for that stuff uh, to be able to not have it just be three or four lightsaber colors in the game. Uh, KOTOR 2 apparently was like, well, they got to do it, so we're going to have like, you know, <laughs> eight colors or a dozen colors or something because that's sort of one of the the really fun things about KOTOR 2 is that it, it does have like just so many colors, but uh yeah, I mean, uh, it was. It, it is weird for people that aren't big Star Wars fans to hear about, like, look, the battle over the colors of things is actually a big goddamn deal. Uh, <laughs> it took a long time and a lot of effort, uh, and people were mad about it because all change is bad. Yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, well, they had they had done toys and things where, yeah, like a Jedi might have like a red lightsaber or sort of an off red, you know, red orange or something, and. And George Lucas was like, well, that's, you know, that signifies evil. So going forward, maybe don't do that. And uh, and now if you crack open like a Marvel Star Wars comic now that's in the official right. canon alongside, you know, Lucas's stuff, it's very willy nilly. It's like, here's a yellow one. Here's an orange one. Here's a, a sort of a black blade. You know, here's sort of, a, um, you know, white lightsabers and, and things like that. Um so, so the rules don't exist anymore. Um, but it's it's funny to to hear some of the stories of the the little sort of things that they would fight over. Um, and and sort of the main character of the book, so to speak, is this guy I talked to uh, two different times, like sort of two hours of interview. And uh, his name is Mike Gallo, and he was the producer for Lucas Arts. Um, so he was sort of this, uh, you know middleman you know this sort of uh arbiter between all the lucas licensing folks who were sort of beholden to george lucas and the you know the massive uh you know licensing machinery at, at lucasfilm and then also flying up to canada and and trying to appease bioware and get them you know the approvals that they needed to kind of 
make the game fit their vision. Um, and so he, he's sort of an interesting, uh, witness to this whole thing. Um, you know, so he, he kind of, you see a lot of the book through his point of view. And I, I sort of tended to think of him as my, uh, is it Nick Carraway from the great Gatsby, you know, sort of that, 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 yes. that <laughs> character who's sort of, uh, you know, caught between these two crazy worlds. And, and I sort of, uh, I sort of tried to structure the book like that a little and have, you know, Bioware and LucasArts be these sort of big inscrutable things that were sort of hard to get access to. And then you have this guy who, you know, he was a part of the Lucas Empire, no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, he was sort of uh, young and, and, and bright eyed. And that was sort of his his big, uh, you know, triumph as a producer, arguably, or, or certainly the one that, you know, from the outside appears to be his big triumph as a producer. And, and sort of getting to see that experience through his eyes was sort of my my big exciting goal in writing the book. Um, but that wasn't the pitch that I sold to Gabe Durham at Boss Fight, you know, back in what <laughs> October 2016. I, that was not the vision for the book uh, either. So uh, it's been fun to kind of watch that change and take shape as well. Um uh, you know, sort of like, sort of like the Kotor uh, pitch documents that that Bioware sent to LucasArts, you know, in 2000 or whatever. Uh, you know, the documents that I sent to Gabe Durham, the emails that I told him, the the book that I was going to write is not the book that's coming out on April 9th. So that's kind of funny too. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I imagine making a video game is a hell of a lot harder than writing a book, but. Uh, I definitely am starting to like see those goofy little parallels between the the writing process and and also how I, you know, came to view this this project uh, that KOTOR became. Oh, I don't know. I think uh, writing my book on Postal was probably more difficult than making the game Postal. That's just me. I'm very angry about my my (laughs) lot in life. Yeah. Uh, So you brought it up earlier. Uh, Witcher 3 for me has also uh, been a a non-starter. Uh, but my my reasoning for it is that uh, I had to play Witcher three in about forty eight hours to write up the Honest Games trailer for it, which oh, meant God. having to complete like an eighty hour game in forty eight hours. So things like Gwent, I uh, just never got a chance to do, and I never went back to like actually enjoy the game. It was actually one of the reasons I stopped doing a lot of projects like that. I was like. I know Witcher 3 is something I'm supposed to love and I'll just never be able to have it and it wasn't worth the paycheck I got for that. So with that in mind, uh, there was a little uh, twitch in my eye when I hit uh, Pazak uh, mm-hmm. here. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm saying it right, not, not Pazak. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I've always said Pazak, but uh, but you, you'll counter characters who... Pazak is more fun. Characters in the game say it like all kinds of different ways, like Pazic and and you know, uh, the truth is they they had to record what like fifteen thousand lines of dialogue in like I don't know sixteen days. I want to say that it says I should probably read my own book again. I believe it's sixteen weeks that they had. Um, it, it was like Jesus. An, it, it may have been it it may have been no sixteen days sixteen days. I think 16 uh-huh. days is what I meant. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but they, yeah, it was like a really short period of time where they booked this LA studio screen music and just had to like just hammer out 15,000 lines of dialogue with like 100 actors. And um, yeah, so, so 
I, I've always said Pazak, uh, but yeah, that's the weird thing about Star Wars is, you know, every time I'll mention like um, Leia's bounty hunter disguise, you know, there's like uh, the name Bausch or Boosh, depending on who you ask, you know, and uh, I always just go with the one that sounds better so <laughs> until until somebody says it in a movie or something i'm just gonna be like uh yeah i'll go with bausch but um yeah yeah pazak's fun did you get a chance to kind of to learn it at all or i i played enough of it to to understand i was like oh this is what you can do when you have a little a little more time to do this hey, we we should perhaps go back because uh, we dove in uh, with enthusiasm here, all over. What's the, place. the story of Knights of the Old Republic? <laughs> Knights of the Old Republic is um, basically you sort of awaken on the Endar Spire, like a Republic capital ship, um, which looks a lot like the one in Rogue One, uh, and and you basically are this sort of nameless soldier that you create. You know, you get to create the player character the way you do in something like Skyrim or or Fallout, or what have you, um, or Dark Souls. You get to kind of make your your character and name them and decide, you know, what kind of uh, soldier they are, what kind of explorer. Um, you don't really know much about their past, which is key to the game. It's crucial. And, uh, you know, basically the, the ship is, comes under attack, you awaken, and... Uh, you're sort of uh, under attack by the Sith. You got Sith boarding parties rushing on board, and they're in this sort of like gleaming metal, you know, chrome armor uh, to sort of signify that, hey, this is 4,000 years before Luke Skywalker uh, was born. So, um, you know, it's got that sort of very medieval sheen to some of it. You know, it's like a very uh, polished uh, world for Star Wars, some of it, a lot of it. Um, which is sort of not quite what the Star Wars films are going for. They wanted to be a little more grimy, a little bit, uh, you know, lived in and, and more like, uh, you know, like a, you know, dusty and dirty and, and things like that. Um, and the Sith, the Sith are very, you know, they're the polished chrome uh, sort of dystopian um, empire in KOTOR. And, and they... Uh, yeah, basically they're looking for uh, you, but they're also looking for a, a Jedi by the name of Bastila Shan, who is like key to the Republic war effort. Um, she is sort of uh, escapes in one escape pod. You escape in another. Uh, you crash land on the planet Terrace, and turns out Bastila has been kidnapped. She's being held by sort of the underground, you know, the criminal underworld. And the Sith are, you know, hunting for her, you know, tirelessly. Um, and and that, that war is sort of background of the whole game. Um, there's a lot of stuff that is sort of hinted at in KOTOR and, and is ultimately fleshed out later on in the expanded universe. This idea that um, the Jedi Civil War is happening or the, uh, the, the Sith War, I believe it's called at one point. You know, it's... Right. Um, You've got you've got this Dark Lord of the Sith, Darth Malak, um, and you don't know much about his past either, which is equally crucial. And uh, you know, there's there's sort of this uh, the dark backstory to everything. Um, there was there was a war with uh, the Mandalorians, who are um, you know the people that Boba Fett's culture you know are, are 
representative of like he they uh there's a sort of uh warfaring um in, in kotor in kotor 2 they're sort of seen as like nomadic you know they're sort of they they travel around as as necessary and and they just sort of follow a leader named mandalore um and and at one point you know they were sort of at the height of their glory and then this jedi um named revan later became darth revan sort of uh you know kicked their asses during the mandalorian wars that took place before kotor um yeah and so basically um once you're on terrace uh you you try to track down bastila you have to do of course all these various uh you know fetch quests and odd jobs for people right you have to do a lot of favors as is typical of rpgs that came out in 2003 or so you know you have to do all these favors for people in exchange for information and then ultimately you get bastila back um darth malik's fleet appears in in orbit above terrace uh the planet you're on and they bombard the hell out of Terrace uh, with with lasers, and um, it's not, it's not quite like Death Star level destruction, but they they basically annihilate everything on the surface of the planet just as you slip away and escape. Um, so so in Bastila, the key you know the Jedi who's key to this war effort um, says, hey, maybe we should go regroup with the Jedi Council. Uh, you know, get our bearings. Um, they're probably going to want to talk to you because you're no ordinary soldier. You seem to be strong in the force. We have, we have this bond with one another, which, uh, you know, uh, looks really familiar to anybody who, who's seen the last Jedi, like, Oh, Hey, there's, they have this force (laughs) bond that like sort of links their destinies and they, they can speak to one another and have these visions that they can both see uh, that's weird. Why? Why is that? <laughs> and um, yeah, so yeah, you ultimately you you go to Dantooine and you get to be like, oh uh, yeah, train me as a Jedi and I'll build my own lightsaber and I'll decide what color it is. I'll decide what kind of Jedi I want to be. And it's sort of like the '80s training montage moment. You know, you get to see yourself kind of <laughs> studying up to be a Jedi and. Uh, in 2003, that was the first time you really got to do that in a video game. Um, you know, people who tabletop role-played had done it in their imaginations with books. Um, but in a video game, uh, you know, that was the first time that you could basically create your own character and decide that you wanted to be a Jedi and, you know, make your own lightsaber, name yourself, you know, kind of decide what you looked like more or less and, uh, you know, play dress up, you know, what, what do I want my Jedi to wear? Things like that. What powers do I want them to have? Um, that was, that was mind blowing, uh, for a 13, 14 year old kid in 2003 who really loved star Wars and really loved video games, but didn't necessarily always love when they came together. Um, you know, it's not like, it's not like every star Wars game coming out around that time was, was solid gold or anything. You know, they were, they were hit and miss, I think is fair to say. I loved some of right. them. I loved some of them, didn't love all of them. And a lot of the ones that I loved, you know, I loved because they were star Wars and because of what they sort of represented to me. Um, in KOTOR, you had a damn good game and it just so happened to give you that fantasy that you were a Jedi on top of all that stuff. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, to this day, I'm kind of in awe of how well that, uh, Don Tuine section worked. Um, you know, Don Tuine is a cool planet in the game. It's the second planet you go to. Um, 
it's basically it's this small little environment uh, relatively speaking but it's got this beautiful Jeremy Soul music you know around the time that he was scoring Morrowind which is like one of his best most famous scores um, you know before he did Skyrim and stuff um, it's got this Tom Kane who voices Yoda in most Star Wars media like the Clone Wars and things like that he he's in the game doing a character who looks exactly like Yoda, but his name is uh, Vandar. Um, yeah, and it's it's just it's it's like such a, a great little memory for me, you know. Um, when I think of Kotor, I think of that that little Dantooine section where you're sort of like you have this connection to Bastila, and you don't quite understand why. Um, and these sort of these Jedi masters are sort of nervous whenever you're in the room. And they, they're clearly like, you know, dancing around some, something that they don't want you to realize. And, uh, I guess, I guess spoiler alert, I guess for people who haven't played the game, I guess this is where I'll just say it. So basically, yeah, <laughs> cause it'll be, I was debating whether or not we should do this and it seems kind of important. And also like, I, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't played it before, the chances of you getting this far in are, 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 are probably slim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I just spoil it right in the beginning, the opening inter- introduction of the book, anyway. So, so you, basically, you are Darth Revan, the the this you know powerful Jedi who who won this war against the Jedi's wishes and fell to the dark side, and uh, you were the master of Darth Malak, who is like the guy that is hunting you through this game. Uh, although he thinks he's just hunting Bastila for, you know, 75, 60% of the game. He's, he was trying to get a hold of Bastila and turn her. And then he finds out like, Oh shit, you're actually this, you know, dark Lord of the Sith, um, who had his memory erased basically with the force. Um, which, which is like this interesting, to be clear, the, the force erases your memory, but then they plant somehow that you're like, Absolutely a good guy. Now, this is this is canonical, I suppose, <laughs> because it's important to note because uh, it's come up before on our show. We've mentioned it. Uh, there's a lot of different endings and ways that this can play out. But there is one canonical ending that remains in Star Wars lore, and it is based around the light side track for the male player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be, sort of because of the the Old Republic MMO that came out in 2011, also by Bioware and LucasArts like that. Because of that game and the the nature of these beasts, you know, they wanted to have, they wanted to have like a sort of, this is who Revan was because we're gonna write a novel about him. We're gonna mention him in some other novels and stuff, um, and he's gonna eventually show up in a big expansion for the Old Republic MMO and kind of give players some fan service. Um, you know, whether they whether they like the fact that it's not their Revan or not, we're gonna give it to him. Um, so yeah, they they sort of yeah he was he was uh, the prodigal knight you know he ended up being good mostly and then he yeah he was a he was a man basically he uh, fell in love with Bastila and they they got married and had uh, I believe one child and um, in uh, Drew Carpition does everyone in Star Wars just have one child nope answered my own question lots of lots of double children never mind that. <laughs> well there's like yeah there's like twins a lot twins is like a recurring yeah. theme in Star Wars because of the twin sons on Tatooine I guess I don't know there's a lot of like symbolism with twins uh, but but yeah so um yeah basically Revan has like a dark period again um he gets like 
captured by the Sith and like tortured and all this like horrible stuff. And, and, um, yeah, stuff gets really weird in the old Republic MMO. And if you're unfamiliar with sort of what they came up with as like, this is the end of Revan's story more or less, uh, definitely like look into that. Uh, it's, uh, it's all on YouTube pretty much. You can kind of watch that play out. It is really, really strange, and I haven't quite made peace with all of it yet. Um, okay. Yeah, it gets really fucking weird. It, you know, it gets sort of horror movie-esque. It, it's uh, very fantasy, very, you know, something you'd see in, like, Morrowind or, or Skyrim or something, you know, where shit gets weird um, with, 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 you know, basically he splits into sort of two beings, I, I guess. Like, he has sort of, like, his dark spiritual self, and uh, and then so, so you're sort of... You have like the good Revan and the bad Revan and yeah, yeah. I don't think it, like his story never really ends well for him, um, unfortunately. Um, yeah, and, and I, I sort of chose to not get too into that um, in the book and I, I've never really sat down and played the Old Republic. Um, so that's sort of my, my dirty secret as a KOTOR fan is that I don't have a ton of interest in... Uh, the MMO other than I'd love to play it at some point. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it just doesn't, I, I can tell how different it, it will be, how different it'll feel as a, as a player who, you know, loves right. certain things about the game. Like that's clearly more of like a world of Warcraft type game, uh, which is really easy for me to swallow if it's something like the elder scrolls online where, you know, I haven't been a fan of this thing for like, you know, 16 years or whatever. And suddenly it's like completely different. Um, it's, it's weird in games to hit a, hit a flow with something that you come back to. And then at some point you're like this next entry in the series or whatever, uh, Look, I'm just not gonna enjoy Fallout 76. I I'll get I gave it a quick try. I'm not gonna like I'll, I'll go back to other Fallouts that I know and love. Yeah, man. Nobody likes Fallout 4 more than me, but Fallout 76. I I played that entirely too long, and it just it it ended ugly. It was not that's not an enjoyable experience, and it's like uh, yeah, you just have to kind of. Uh, make your own head cannon sometimes and just kind of play, <laughs> play the, play the parts that you like and ignore the parts you don't and don't, don't harass developers and publishers about it. Just kind of like go on with your life. Right. And like, right. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to like email somebody who worked on the older public and tell them like, Oh, I don't really like what you did with the Revan because I love Revan and I love the, the other games that they make. And I love, a lot of the other stories and the other expansions and the ideas that they've thrown around. Um, and I've liked other bio. Well, so you don't have since. to send that email because you wrote a goddamn book about this. Yes. And you have yes. all of your opinions will be recorded and published and purchased. Oh, damn it. Yeah, no. Um, and, and, and a lot of fans are starting to get their hands on the book, you know, through the press, like, you know, people that are reviewing it for blogs and, and things like that. And, and I'm getting positive feedback from sort of the star Wars press and the, you know, the video game press, you know, people who, who do care about these characters are saying nice things about the book, uh, which is blowing my mind because I thought for sure that, you know, a lot of people would be led down the way, you know, the way me, you know, I was led down by, you know, 
the Revan novel and the MMO in some ways. <laughs> you know, even though like I enjoy things about them and I had a lot of fun with the novel, there's always sort of that like, oh, but like I had this character in my head, you know, that I was sort right. of playing as that, uh, you know, I went off and wrote fan fiction about and, you know, did all these goofy things with. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, you, you do get that, that fantasy of this is my character and, and the writers of KOTOR acknowledge and appreciate that and they realize it. And, uh, you know, like there's a great quote that from Carpition that I threw in the book that was like, he tweeted at one point, he tweeted, uh, shortly before I started working on the book or shortly after. And, and he basically said, Revan always belonged more to the fans than me. And, uh, Ah. Yeah, you know, it's cool because, I mean, uh, fans have really embraced that character and that character's image, you know, the mask, the sort of like, um, you know, crimson tribal mask that he wears and the the robes, you know, people love that image because they know that when that mask comes off, it's their face underneath, regardless of, you know, what face that might be, you know, that that means something right. to them because it's like, oh, that's, you know, that's my my dude or, you know. Uh, and, and yeah, um, but basically to get back to the story, you know, you get off Dantooine and, and you, you have this link with Bastila, you have this history with Darth Malak, um, and that's all well and good, but, but at that point it's still a mystery. So you, you know, why, why do we have this link? And also, um, what, what is Malik, Darth Malik is searching for something, uh, you know, what is, what is he searching for? He, um, there are these star maps scattered throughout the game, um, sort of like the, what are they called? And like Mass Effect Andromeda, same thing. You have to go to these very specific planets and find like these, these relics, you know, and you have to find so many of them before you can get to the final big bad or whatever. And uh, I think Mass Effect 1, if I recall correctly, had a similar structure where it's like you got all these planets you can go to, but they're sort of the key ones. And you have to, you know, check off, you know, A, B, C and D boxes before you can get to sort of the the final act of the story. Um and yeah, so so the game sort of opens up after Dantooine where, okay, you've got this ship that looks an awful lot like the Millennium Falcon, the Ebon Hawk, um, you know, really beautiful design, sort of this rusty, you know, flying saucer. Um, Can we agree that the Ebon Hawk is really funny as a name? It's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a weird name. It's a weird name, right? It's uh, Oh, just for leaning into the Millennium Falcon, Vic, like what if, yeah. what are two... What's a different metal bird we yeah. can go with here? Yeah, it's just, uh, you, there's a lot of stuff like that. There's a lot of sort of analogous things where, um, you know, Star Wars had R2-D2 and C-3PO. So we will have, uh, what, T-3M4 and HK, right. HK-47 is, of course, the famous, famous droid. Um, it won, like, you know, the the best character, best original character award at like the, um, GDC that year or something like that. So, um, you know, because, you know, people, people look at the Star Wars brand and they do have certain expectations. Um, I think now those, there's like a tighter leash on those things. Um, you know, as it sort of has been reported in the press, you know, like, if there's a Star Wars video game, you know, they want certain things to be in it. I think KOTOR 
it wasn't quite as strict, but they certainly, they did have certain things that they wanted to be in the game. And one was like the Millennium Falcon idea, and that is sort of your home base. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got the two droids, and then, you know, the Jedi hero in Bastila Shan, and then um, Cartho Nassi is sort of like the Han Solo figure. Um, you know, the very sort of suave, well-groomed uh, military officer with the nice jacket, uh, you know, he, and, and, and he's sort of he's sort of the character that everybody either loves or hates. You either love Karth or you hate him. Um, and and I, I think I've erred on the side of uh, ultimately really liking him, except he does throw these like little horrible temper tantrums sometimes where. Uh, you know, he just decides that he hates your fucking guts in the game for some reason, which is fun. <laughs> it's like, it's like, damn, dude. Like, I was just trying to start a conversation, like, see what I was checking on you, and you know, and he just snaps. But uh, yeah, I mean, you you get to sort of go on this adventure uh, with these characters um, from across like four different planets, um, and at that point, you know, it you can go to any one first, you can go to any one of them second any one of them third, et cetera. Um, but certain key events will trigger, um, you know, regardless of which one you go to. So, like, you know, eventually people will come hunt you. You know, you'll have to fight off some Sith ambushes and things like that. Eventually you'll get kidnapped. Um, and, and really that's sort of the the great part of the game are these these four main planets that you travel to um, looking for these maps, uh, the maps to the Star Forge, which is ultimately like this giant magical weapons factory um, that belong to this even more ancient race of like imperial aliens, um, the Rakata. Um, it keeps going back and back in time. And it, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what if several thousand years before this, there was several thousand years before that. And yeah, I, I, I can picture in my head just what a goddamn nightmare figure out <laughs> Star Wars timelines has to be. Yeah. And, and like Bioware loves to do that. Okay. They, they have what the, the relics or whatever, whatever they're called in Andromeda. They've got like these new um, technological relics everywhere in Andromeda. In Anthem, you've got the Shaper relics everywhere. Um, and then in Mass Effect 1, you had like the Prothean technology that they talked about all the time and the Reapers. So they, lo- they love to have this sort of ancient alien race that, uh, you know, like the monoliths in 2001 A Space Odyssey, basically, you know, like you know, we weren't the first things here, so therefore somebody else must have left this shit lying around, and, and it's going to be really important because mysteries are fun, and, and Bioware leans into that every time they do a sci-fi game, I think, which uh, <laughs> is just part of, like, the sci-fi tradition, I guess, so it's cool. It's sort of like where Star Wars is steeped in, like, fairy tales and, and, and uh, you know, Tolkien and and, you know the world myths that Joseph Campbell wrote about and things like, um, Bioware's version of the old Republic. It does sort of flirt with more like science fiction ideas. Like, okay, what if we have this like giant fabricator space station that can, you know, exactly. <laughs> uh, that can, yeah, just like, you know, 3d print, uh, TIE Fighters, basically, before they were called TIE exactly, Fighters. Exactly, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and I, like, I love all that stuff. Uh, it, it, like, Morrowind came out, what, a year before KOTOR, and, and there's sort of these, like, uh, brass robots that, that come after you, like, these 
dwarven what do they call like centurions or whatever and and you see a lot of stuff like that when you're on the star forge and it's it's sort of like uh magic that you know feels a little bit like steampunk a little bit science fiction um the old republic has its own kind of flavor because it is taking place 4000 years before the movies and uh yeah the bioware really they they were able to to do things that you know, a game set during the Clone Wars or during the classic trilogy or, you know, during most of the Legends stuff just wouldn't have been able to get away with. And, like, you right. know, they, they were sort of playing off things that had been done in the comic books, um, but they they seemed to kind of ignore most of that stuff and just do whatever the hell they wanted and hope that LucasArts was able to let them do that. And yeah, it's sort of miraculous just how much they succeeded with that. Um, yeah, ultimately, you know, um, Bastila falls to the dark side. She's captured by Darth Malak and tortured. Uh, there's a lot of torture in the Old Republic, <laughs> in the Old Republic stories. From how else Bio- would you get things done? Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah. This is like, you know, this is in the age of what, like 24 and, you know, all those sort of like post 9 11. Uh, the, the stories where it's like, eh, we got to, we got to torture. We got, we got to torture people to, to find out the thing that we need to know. And, um, yeah, the, the not answering questions and getting tortured sequence was a bit odd, but now that you frame it up against, uh, Jack Bauer, it makes a lot of sense. Everybody was just really getting off on torture at the time. Yeah. We, I, I touch on that in the book, I think a little bit, which is that, um, the game as much as it's in conversation with like the star Wars trilogy with, you know, the empire strikes back and things. Um, it's also very much a product of that sort of 1999 cinema, right? Like in, and post right. post nine eleven cinema. And- yeah. Yeah. Everything from fight club and the sixth sense to like, uh, the born identity I think is like probably a big influence or, or they have similar influences. They seem to come from the same place. You've got like the, amnesiac you know anti-hero um you know and stuff like memento which i think was like 2000 where it's like who the fuck am i um maybe you know maybe i won't like the answer when i find out who i am you know that kind of thing and uh and 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 yeah they they used all that stuff they they played off those ideas and and how that was done well i think the sixth sense seems to be the the common template that that all of them kind of were thinking about when they crafted the big uh reveal that you're darth revan (laughs) you know they they wanted it to feel inevitable i think i think inevitable is like the thing that you're going for when you you try to craft i see death people i I see darth people i see darth (laughs) (laughs) i see darth people yes exactly yeah when you look in the mirror and take out the mask you see darth people um yeah and it's uh you know, it, it does it does feel like that. It does feel like Fight Club. There's sort of the the montage sequence um, that I sort of unpack a little in the book um, and look at how that was done. Um, 
and yeah, it's you know, it was it was a twist that when people came across it in the game, I think they really were like, uh, you know, holy shit, you know, I've never seen anything quite like this before. Um, I think that you know there are games that had similar moments in like Baldur's Gate, which was also Bioware and their claim to fame. There was a you know a twist in um, I think Planescape Torment is another big one where you had sort of like a very unusual protagonist with like a, a shadowy past and things. And uh, um, but Kotor was so mainstream; it was it had Star Wars in the title, um, so a lot of people bought an Xbox to play this crazy Star Wars RPG. Um, with the weird artwork and, uh, and had this experience and, and, you know, you can, you can find a lot of people who will, who will say, you know, oh, I'm a big KOTOR fan. Uh, you know, that, that's one of my favorite games of all time. And it's because you had this crazy moment where, oh, I, I'm the, I, we, are we the baddies? You know, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and then you had to make that choice like of, uh, do I want to remain the baddie or do I want to, you know, stay on this path of uh, redemption? And do I want to help my friend Bastila and get her back to the light? Um, which you can see how this, this story is very, very appealing to fans of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi with Kylo and Rey and their sort of right. very interesting relationship in The Last Jedi, uh, which is the subject of much endless uh, tiring debate. Um, but, you know, <laughs> you have these two amazing characters who are sort of their destinies are entwined. Um, you know, one of them seems to be lost to the dark side. One of them seems to be very good. Um, in KOTOR, um, you know, you're never quite sure who that's going to be because, you know, uh, Bastila falls to the dark side very suddenly. Uh, you find out about your past very suddenly. And, and from there, from there, you can go either way for those characters. You can kind of, you can take the very dark, tragic Anakin Skywalker route if that's your bag. And I've, I've talked to plenty of people, um, who, you know, every time they play through the game, they take the dark side route. They love to have the force lightning and the, you know, the sort of uh, weathered gray features of a, you know, Sith who's, you know, been kind of ravaged by the dark side and all this stuff. And uh, look, I go that way in every Star Wars game because uh, what am I going to do? Not have force lightning? Come on. Come <laughs> yeah, on. yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I mean, there's basically two endings to the game in terms of what you see play out. Um, so it's not not quite on the level of uh, some of the RPGs, like the big blockbuster RPGs that came after. But uh, right. you know, I mean, Kotor was really the thing that took quirky D and D style RPGs that came before it and turned them into something a bit more blockbuster like Halo. I think Halo in 2001 was like, oh man, holy shit, games can really do stuff. Uh, you know, games can tell a story and they can feel like a movie and they can have good voiceover performances and uh, epic, you know, musical scores that are as good as you hear in the movies. And uh, KOTOR is like, holy shit, maybe we can take like Neverwinter Nights and Baldur's Gate and uh, sort of level up that that format into blockbuster, you know, movie caliber territory. And it doesn't always succeed. I'm not like delusional about, you know, KOTOR not having flaws and things like that. But um, people who, if, if the Mass Effect trilogy is your favorite game or whatever, and that's sort of right. the thing you hold up, you know, um, 
Yeah, I think those things owe a lot to KOTOR and what it managed to achieve, uh, given, you know, having that LucasArts budget in their in their back pocket, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, so, like, what did you think of the combat? That was sort of, uh, that, it's a unique thing, right? Like, the some of the, the moment-to-moment gameplay is sort of the, the quirky, weird part of the game because it's got this um, D&D system behind it all. Did that, did that combat feel it, fun? It, it was odd. And, and there was a ramp up to me having fun with combat. There were times that I was like, I'm not even sure what I'm doing here. Like I'm clicking the buttons mm-hmm. in the way that like in, in like a street fighter game, since I don't know how I'm, how to do it. I'm just like constantly hitting the same X button over and over again. <laughs> and things more or less worked out for me, uh, at a, at an easy enough level. And, and that was fine. Uh, I think we should, we should maybe round off here. Cause I'm worried we're going to start cannibalizing your book. And I want, I want people to buy the book because yes. it's so goddamn good. And all my notes here are basically just things from your book where I'm like, this, this line's really good. And I feel like I'm becoming the Chris Farley character from SNL, like talking to McCartney. Like, do you remember when you were in the Beatles? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, I do. Well, yes. So that's, <laughs> this is, it's such an incredible book and it was such an, a cool game to revisit. And if you haven't played before, uh, now that we've spoiled things for you, maybe, uh, maybe take a crack at the game. It's up on, uh, Xbox back compat and on steam, I believe. Uh, and yeah. your book is such a good companion piece. I, I was playing like chunks of it. And then like when I was out of the house, like reading the book and the alternation of stuff, gave me so much to appreciate about it, which I really enjoyed. Like, you know, there's there's background to the production of things and, and those stories are always cool, but just sort of where it comes from and how it comes together and then seeing some of that play out. You did such a good job at this. When can people start buying the book? <laughs> so the book comes out April 9th, um, which, yeah, I, I can't recall what day of the week that is. I think it's like a Friday or a Tuesday. Uh, but uh, yeah, April 9th is when it comes out. I think, Folks who subscribe to Boss Fight Books through Kickstarter and our backers, I think they'll receive it before then. Um, yeah, and so, but, but yeah, you'll you'll start seeing uh, excerpts pop up. Hopefully, an excerpt or two um, around April second, various places like Kotaku. Cool. Um, you know, where I sort of took like a couple of my my personal favorite chapters and and took a sliver of them and 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 tried to hopefully get those up online where you can kind of get a taste of what the book is. Um, and the book is up for pre-order on uh, Amazon, as is my postal book, which isn't technically done yet. So like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you want to hit the button on both of those, you'll, you'll always have them coming your way. <laughs> yes. And, and, and it's up on bossfightbooks.com as well. And like a, you can get sort of a two for one package if you want like the ebook and the paperback, because you can't ever make up your mind whether you like a, a hard copy or an ebook better like myself. Uh, you know, L- look, I truly appreciate that they do that option because especially in boss fight books, the number of times that I'm like, Oh, I want to share this giant like section. Uh, and then I'm trying to like take a picture of it with my phone to send it to a friend. I'm like, ah, this, this doesn't work and I'm bad for trying. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, but, but yeah, the boss fight book series, if you haven't checked them out yet, um, they're sort of, they, they all have their own unique, uh, flavor and format. Um, some of them tend to be very personal, but the thing that they all share is they, uh, 
you know, they, they really dig into one specific game and what it is about that game that, that meant something to the larger culture or to them personally. Um, and, and Brock's book is about postal. So that's going to be very interesting because it's, uh, you know what you're looking at like a sort of a, a cultural like what what the fuck moment would you say is that kind of how you describe uh, it? I, it started there but one of the reasons that the book still isn't done is that you know we're suddenly we're suddenly reliving all the exact same things from the 90s where yes. like uh you know when there's a shooting uh the president right now is currently bringing in some of the same video game people from the nineties that were also brought to the white house to blame shootings on video games instead of on, you know, guns or anything else. Uh, and so I keep having to expand as, you know, different, uh, shootings happen and things like that. And, and toxic masculinity takes a, a much bigger spotlight as the world continues to <laughs> go poorly. It, it, it is the number of times I thought I was done with the book and then something has happened. And I was like, okay, I actually got a, expand that chapter or really tweak a section uh it is a a, a book about a a bad frustrating violent game that uh is only expanded upon by the bad frustrating uh violent world that we currently live in so it's uh it's just not as much fun as your book uh, i don't think so <laughs> yeah I guess both our books. Anyway, Eric, Alex, where can people find you online? <laughs> uh, so I'm on Twitter at Alex J. Kane uh, mostly. And uh, yeah, writing freelance for various places. Uh, I'm Brock Wilbur at Brock Wilbur on the onlines and stuff. Uh, check out some of my other podcasts by typing the name Brock Wilbur into iTunes. Uh, got a board game podcast, got a political podcast, have a dark positivity podcast and an emo music podcast. I have too many podcasts, <laughs> but these this is this is fun and absolutely please go get Alex's book. Please do. And and uh you know, hopefully we'll keep this thing going for as long as possible and and keep delving into these old Star Wars games that are are so damn fun to talk about and uh you know, we're having a lot of fun doing this, so this is something that uh, Brock suggested to me one day, and I was like, a, po- a podcast about Star Wars video games? That's a horrible fucking idea. I'm going to have to sit, pass on that one. And then, you know, he asked me a second time, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I really, really want to do this, and uh, we're having so much fun. We're having so much fun. So the, the longer we go, the more excited I get when I look at our list or, like, games, and I'm like, you know what? I can't. I just can't wait to take a month to, like, dig into that one because it's 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 a lot of games that i just never would have given my time to and now we get to do it and then pick it apart on a molecular level and uh yeah this this show always gets better uh and uh to get to hear you talk today about just your encyclopedic knowledge of this is just so much fun so thank you guys for listening to x-wing in it please tell your friends about it please subscribe please buy alex's book uh (laughs) We'll, we'll remind you next episode and the episode after that about it as well, I'm sure. Yeah, and thank you for all the kind words uh, about the podcast and the book. So. All right. Talk to you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks so much.